Hi, everybody. This is Kara Fitzgerald. New Frontiers in Functional Medicine is here every month, bringing you the best minds in functional medicine. And we would not be able to do this over the years without the generous contributions from our sponsors. Biotics Research. For four, over 40 years, the foundations of biotics research has been innovation and quality. Their goals remain unchanged. Innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts, and product development with advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques. Biotics nutritional products are of superior quality and effectiveness and available exclusively to healthcare professionals. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Integrative Therapeutics is focused on inspiring a better lifestyle through better health by providing meticulously formulated nutritional supplements and valuable resources. Integrative Therapeutics promises to enrich your patients and embolden your practice. Welcome to your Integrative Therapeutics. Find them at integrativepro.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine and beyond. And of course, today is no exception. Before I introduce my next amazing guest, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsors, uh, Biotics Research and Rupa, uh, two wonderful, wonderful companies in the functional medicine space who are keeping our podcast going strong. Uh, much gratitude to Biotics and Rupa. So today on our podcast, I am so happy to be joined by uh, Dr. Michael Roizen. Uh, he is the Emeritus Chief Wellness Officer at Cleveland Clinic. Uh, he's professor at Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine at Case Western Reserve. Uh, he's the author of four number one New York Times bestsellers, uh, and he's written more than 190 peer-reviewed scientific articles. Uh, he's been recognized with many awards, including the Paul G. Rogers Award from the National Library of Medicine for Best Medical Communicator. He lives in my hometown, Cleveland, Ohio. Dr. Roizen, welcome to New Frontiers. So when did you leave Cleveland? <laughs> Well, my family is still there, so I'm back quite a bit, but I am in Connecticut now. You've got to come. Where in Connecticut? you got to come and visit. Oh, we, I do all the time. Yeah, I will absolutely, absolutely come and visit you. My, uh, my family all goes to the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. It's a pretty amazing place. You guys are, you know, you guys are cutting the edge. Right. I did help, uh, and, and I did actually recruit Mark uh, Hyman here, whatever it was, a number of years ago to replace me. Um, but, uh, he decided not to go into the, the full wellness sphere and stay in functional medicine. And so, uh, that didn't pan out, but he, he has left a tremendous mark here. Yeah. Yeah. Medicine has changed in Cleveland. I mean, it's really extraordinary. All of the, not that we want to digress here too much, but, you know, having most of my family there, the quality of care that they're getting from Cleveland Clinic, even outside of the Functional Medicine Center, seems to be a little bit more expanded um, than other places. Would you say that's true? Um, the amazing thing, I had a, the reason I'm dressed like this and have a free uh, thing is uh, I had a, uh, an, a procedure here. My rotator cuff was repaired uh, 11, 12 days ago now. And um, I can tell you, I started, I, I came here in 2004 as chair of anesthesia, critical care, pain management, and executive health. And um, we started a pain service, an acute pain service. 
um, I really benefited from that because they put in a uh, regional anesthetic pump on my brachial plexus that left my uh, left me pain free for six days um, after rotator cuff surgery. So I have um, people always said you're not going to be able to sleep. It's going to be horrible. You're going to have gone pain pills, etc. For uh, I haven't taken anything more than that plus uh, baby aspirin, the usual doses, morning and night, um, for the last uh, 12 days. Slept like a baby, so to speak. And, and other than looking weird and looking like I belong on Saturday Night Live um, as a skit, uh, everything's been great. And the uh, I've got to say thank you to the pain service as well as a, a wonderful surgeon. Yeah. So they put in they they put in these little plugs. They're screws like, but they're fiber screws, and they're strong enough. They have thirteen of them in. He said, each one of them he could pick me up and uh, buy um, any one of them. That's how solid the repairs are now. That's extraordinary. Well, geez, I'm really glad that you're here with me after that intense procedure and that you're doing so well. Anyway, I, I do feel like my family is in good hands out there. Um, so you're talking about longevity these days. You know, your new book uh, is out now. I think it, it was released last month, The Great Age Reboot. And you cover a lot. Thank you. Good. Um, I have the I have the PDF, so I can't hold up the hard copy. So thanks for doing that. Um, you're, I mean, you know, you, well, A, you've come into a space of many longevity books. In fact, I just showed you mine back there, Younger You, um, based on our research. Um, Mark Hyman, of course, is releasing one soon. And Tony Robbins did recently with Peter uh, Diamandis. And he, he, here you are jumping into this space. I mean, I think that you're. I'm you're, not jumping into it. I yeah, started right, this right. space in yeah. 1997 with uh, was, Real Age. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And I, I, you know what, I was going to back up and say that, but you're right. Wrong choice of words. So talk to me about your coming back into this, or maybe you've been in this all along. Just tell me about why you decided no, to release I, this I've book. I've been in this, believe it or not, this started in 1979 when I was asked to chair anesthesia critical care for um, cardiovascular anesthesia at UCSF. I wanted all my life to run an ICU, so I trained in both anesthesia and internal medicine because there weren't ICU training programs in that era. And what we found when I started to, they asked me to, I was running an ICU in 1979, and they asked me to chair, uh, co-chair cardiovascular anesthesia, not because I was so great, but because the surgeons were difficult. But all they cared about was outcome of their patients, how fast they return to function, how few disabilities and derangements. And when we looked at the data, we had the data from all of California from 1970 on, it turned out that the leading cause of disability wasn't heart function or brain function or liver or kidney function, but it was their age. And so I said, how do we make patients 20 years younger in the perioperative period? 20 years, every 10 years was a threefold increase in disability and uh, uh, death risk. So a 75-year-old undergoing aortic valve had a nine-fold increase in risk compared to a 55-year-old. So if I could make a 75-year-old 55, I could radically change the risk. And when in yeah. learning how to do that, and we did, 
um, we had to get a metric to motivate patients, and that was real age. So your real age can be, we said, uh, 60 would be the new 40. It's come to pass. We now think 90 will well, be let the me new just, 40. And I want you to talk about that. 90 will be the new 40. I'm putting a pin in this. We will absolutely circle back, but you can't leave us with the provocative comment that you did, you know, make 75, 55 back in the 70s without mentioning what you did. And that was well, the, in the, that in was the 80s, in the 80s. Okay. And they, that was the foundation of the real age. Right. Tool. And, and, and uh, real age still exists. It's on, it's a free website on share care. It still is the most accurate predictor, more accurate than any biomarker, even than methylation markers at death risk and cardiovascular disease risk. Um, based mm -hmm. on the data that accumulated on the first uh, 19 million people, UC San Diego that took the test, um, UC San Diego looked at the uh, death risk index, social security death index, um, independent of us, um, and it was a more accurate predictor than any biomarker at that time. Now, it hasn't been updated, meaning the program's been updated, but the studies haven't been updated since about 2010. But in any case, more, it was more accurate than any other predictor of both cardiac and overall mortality risk uh, based on their study. The receiver operant curves, as you know, the, were, were better than any other. And it's still a free test, but we did it based on there were about um, 51 major and 157 things that people could do to change their rate of aging. This was really slowing aging. Where we're going now is that you're going to be able to reverse aging, we think. A lot of that is, is based on your and other people's work on that. Um, and obviously there are 14 areas of research into the mechanism of aging that have all made um, at least two animal models reverted back either individual organs or total body to a younger self. So it's not just slowing aging, it's reverting it back now. But in any case, there were 50, uh, some major ones, about 51. Those included things like managing your blood pressure. We knew 115 over 76 is the ideal for aging. It's been the ideal since the early 1940s when that was rad radically studied. Um, we know about, um, if you will, a lower blood sugar level. We've known about getting your apple lipoprotein B or your LDL cholesterol to a level below 70. Um, we've known about, uh, and, and that's just three of the, I don't want to go through all of them, but in, we've known there are four components of physical activity that make a difference to how long and while you age. We know that stress is the major one and that posse, purpose, um, play, and locus of control are the major things determining whether stress ages you or not or whether stressful events will all have them age you or not. We know about food choices, portion size, and timing of eating. We know about avoiding unforced errors such as smoking and vaping and not wearing a helmet when you go skiing, etc. Um, we know about sleep and the 33 things that change your rate of brain aging. And we know about um, supplements and small molecules. So those are the six major things 
Um, and when you look at them, just like brain aging is 33, they're turned out to be, they're about uh, in that era, if you look at all the small ones, such as the individual vitamins by themselves, there are about 151 things that change the rate of brain aging in men, 157 in women. And um, so you can motivate people to do that. We've done that at the Cleveland Clinic, as you probably know, we do that with our employee health and save compared to our competitors and compared to our own trend line, 38% or $190 million a year without changing the benefit design of our employee health plan. So That's this awesome. can be done with humans as yeah. well, and we've shown that you can do it. So circling back to your original cohort back when you were in um, ICU in, in California, you so basically you reverted these 75-year-olds, or you were able to look at the data and see people who were 75 who had the numbers of 55 survived much better. Their outcome was much improved. And then this was the impetus for creating the um, the real age. Or the, well, the, That's exactly. It started yeah. with patients undergoing cardiac vascular surgery and, you, and how do we lower their risk? Let me, let me just ask you before, I, and I, folks, I'll put this in the show notes, um, the website for real age. People are, are going to want to revisit it. I think it's, I think it's time we revisit it. So it is, it is revisited, and on January 3rd, the updated program, I think, will be launched. Awesome. So we update it periodically. It is uh, free on the sharecare.com app. Sharecare.com app has Real Age embedded in it. It used to be you could go to realage.com, but I think you now have to go to sharecare.com owns it. Okay, so, so we'll we, chase it down. We'll find it. And yeah, a lot of our listeners are going to want to check it out and certainly refer their patients to it. Well, bravo you for doing that work. Um, so that was probably done before you were even born. <laughs> I was a little one in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot. So as you've after you, you've, you know, you've, You've, you've just basically covered our, our the contents of our, our conversation today in your in your opening remarks. But um, yeah, we're moving into this era of of, of reversal. Um, your book your book is a kind of an extraordinary survey of where you've been and and also where we're going. And I just I want to you know I want to I want to talk about what your some of the strong predictions you've made. You said earlier ninety is the new forty, and you. With 80% probability, I don't want to say it's a sure yeah. thing. So we we had enough data on 60 could be the new 40 that we were literally 100% confident that that could happen. We now have animal models, 14 different areas of research from epigenetic reprogramming to induced tissue regeneration to, um, if you will, everything from hormetic uh, hyperbaric oxygen to therapeutic plasma exchange, 14 different areas yeah. looking at, at protein and senolytic rejuvenation that we've said there's, an, there's at least an 80% probability with 14 shots on goal. But unlike 60 could be the new 40, we don't, these are just beginning to move into human trials now. So we don't have the quite enough data to say that 90 that you'll be able to when you're 90 revert yourself back to 40 sometime maybe by 2050 you'll go in a car wash as a 90 year old and come out as a 40 year old but for now it looks like it's going to be organ to organ 
which is why the 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 last third of the book is all those 180 there are now over 180 choices you can make that slow your rate of aging that avoid um what we call um if you will tissue damage so severe that you can't revert from it um so that you will be able to benefit let me give you that example if you will Mm -hmm. so we know that about 30% of heart failure is caused by a gene abnormality, largely acquired, that produces an abnormal amyloid that goes to the heart and causes amyloid-induced heart failure. Very different from amyloid-induced brain. This is amyloid-induced heart failure. Well, by knocking out that gene in 12 people in Australia, seven of them went from an ejection fraction, from the ability to squeeze blood out of the heart of about under 12% to over 35%, from a life expectancy of under six months to an 18-year life expectancy. Yeah. So you say, why didn't it work in the other five people? Because they had such structural damage, it essentially became connective tissue parts of their heart. They couldn't revert those. So it's really important, and that's why the last third of the book is on those 180 changes. The middle third is on the economic and policy changes for both the individual and for society that the economist and the demographer who were the co-authors of the book thought important for us as individuals to make and to consider for society and housing, et cetera. And the first third of the book is on the these 14 areas and um, what the whiz bang science so that the lay audience gets excited about it. Do you or your patients want to harness the science-based benefits of fasting, but without having to avoid food altogether and by using real food rather than powdered processed meal replacements? I'm Dr. Susan Blum, longtime friend and colleague of Dr. Fitzgerald and co-founder of Organic Farmer. I've helped create a new therapeutic program called The Fast, a real food program that is 100% organic, plant-based, and free of gluten, dairy, soy, corn, and egg. Learn more at OrganicFarmer.com. That's farmer with a PH. Take 20% off with the discount code CARA. That's K-A-R-A. Yeah, that, that was CRISPR. That was the first, wasn't that the first human? trial using using CRISPR? Well, it's not the first using, it's not the first human trial using CRISPR. The first one was actually done with type 1 diabetes in Boston, the second one on uh, sickle cell disease, as far as I know. But it's the first one that um, I saw in the elderly, meaning the others had been used in younger people to see if they could knock out, for example, the gene that causes um, if you will, sickle cell disease, or to knock out the, the sickle cell hemoglobin producing protein, or the one that, that um, if you will, they could give, um, do a reversion. So your uh, pancreas um, started producing insulin again. Um, so there have been other trials. There's now one on uh, PCSK9, knocking that out. So you metabolize uh, LDL normally, but there are I think there are now someplace over 30 gene trials this year going on in, in the United States for, for individual genes. Um, and, but that's just one of the 14 areas that is yeah. gene editing. But 
they all focus on one thing. They knock out a protein that is causing disease or they knock right. out, they either clear a protein or they knock out something producing it or they, um, like the uh, studies at Gladstone, they impede the functioning of an abnormal protein. You know, I, I don't want to get, go down this path too, too far, even though it's really, really interesting. What do we know about follow-up on those on those heart patients, um, are they? All we know is that, that was a New England Journal um, article published, and we know the, I think it was the 12 month, it may have been the 15 month result. I haven't seen a follow up on those. That appeared, I think it appeared in uh, July of uh, 2022. So it's not, so even if you consider it, uh, three months out of date on publication because they did update it before publication. We've only gotten, uh, we're only probably at 18 or 24 months on the majority of those people. Yeah, well, it'll so, be interesting know, to watch. I don't know the follow-up on, 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 on it. So let's go back to 60 being the new 40 as 100% probable and how we achieve that. So let's talk about what you know, the average listener, or there's a lot of physicians in our audience, what they can prescribe confidently to their patients now, like what can we do today um, so to be the, 40 I, at 60? Yeah, the most important thing to understand is you are a genetic engineer. You self-engineer whether the epigenes are on or off in at least 80% yeah. of the genes. It may be the latest study is 93% you control of your genes being on or off through your epigenes. But in any case, um, in the, let me give you the example. So when you stress a muscle, you turn on a gene in that muscle that produces the small protein arisen. Arisen goes to the blood brain, through the blood brain barrier, it's small enough, and turns on the brain-derived neurotrophic growth factor gene, which increases hippocampal size. So one of the keys is doing those four areas in physical activity that have been shown repeatedly to change the rate of aging. And each of them has different genes that turn on. So we know that doing all four components changes at least 50 genes. But that's not most important. Most important thing you do is learn to manage stress. Most important way is having a posse. So one of the things you can do when you're young, when you're as young as you are, you've got friends from school, et cetera, games. So you can call those friends or see them routinely. But having a posse with six people you're vulnerable to, long ago as the Whitehall studies out of Great Britain in 50 and 60, was found to be the most posse purpose and locus of control were found to be the most important thing in the um, what were the public employees of the Whitehall in Great Britain. It turns out that got confirmed with the Beckman studies in the United States and Alameda County in the 1960s. And it's recently, I don't know why they did it again, but it recently been confirmed several other groups. So posse, purpose, locus of control. What can you do about that? So I call eight friends every Saturday and Sunday. That's when I have enough time to talk. I walk while I talk to them. So as opposed to being, on, I'm on a treadmill desk now, but as opposed to getting 10,000 steps from my scientific nerdishness of reading articles, I on the weekends call friends and talk to them and uh, walk while I'm doing it. 
So I'm getting two benefits, if you will. But keeping your posse actually requires work and is a great way of staying young. Then it is having a purpose. You're helping me with that, obviously, because my purpose is to help others know how much control they have in their rate of aging. The third is locus of control. So in that, in those studies, the British bus drivers didn't have much control. They had to run the same route and they had to do it with the same degree. But you could, a couple of those guys, the bus drivers were mainly men in that era, changed their cab. They changed the decorations. So they had more locus of control. So they looked at that as they controlled their environment and they lived much better. Same confirmed with the Beckman studies. You know, Oprah asked me, what's the worst job to have? It's a chicken part plucker, right? Because you've got to do so many chicken parts at Purdue every hour and you're using a dangerous instrument. So in addition to having no locus of control, no ability to change your environment, you have to have a, you have a dangerous instrument with you. So that's about the worst job you can have. Um, but in any case, uh, locus of control, posse and purpose, and then play. You want to have something you play. And whether, you know, you may not like walking, but you may like playing with grandkids. Or you may like gardening. So it's step-for-step equivalents that get you there. So there literally are 180 choices, um, none as much as posse, purpose, play, um, if you will, and locus of control. So, yeah, you can do meditation or guided imagery or progressive muscle Actually, any of the 12 things that we know help you with uh, managing stress. But most important, posse, purpose, play, and locus of control. And of course, those are all, you know, key players in managing stress. You know, it's interesting. I was t- telling you a little bit about our research and we used a biological age clock. You know, we looked at DNA methylation patterns and a full 25% of that clock is there are glucocorticoid response elements. So they, they respond to, to stress, which for me was a piece of what kind of convinced me that, you know, of the hierarchy of interventions that we can uh, shift, stress has got to really be up there at number one. I mean, I, I have a strong, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a nutritionist and in, in a lot of my training and I put a lot of focus on that, but I'm, I'm really wondering about, uh, you know, the stress experience, toxic stress, you know, is it, so is it greater stress, than nutrition? Yeah. Yeah, it is. If you look at the data, yeah. um, the, both the association of, and epidemiologic and the, and the little bit we have in randomized controlled trials on this, major life events, there's 16 of them, you know, you're sued, you get married, you're forced to move, um, a parent gets sick, etc. Of those 16 major events, if you have three in any one year, the average American has 1.28. If you have three in any one year, it makes your risk of dying and disability in that year 32 years older. Hmm. Food from the worst diet, I call it the McDonald's burger and fried and milkshake diet, to yeah. the healthiest diet, you know, a uh, pescatarian or a uh, vegan with uh, salmon and ocean trout thrown in um, and egg whites. If you have from the worst to the healthiest diet, it's about 27 years. So nutrition is very important, but stress is the greatest danger, and stress causes 
we think um, more, if you will, of the epigenetic changes as you indicated, as you found, as you did the research for, than anything else. So in fact, uh, stress is, is the greatest ager and is also one that is amenable to almost the most easy one from a standpoint of friends are an easy thing to nurture yeah. and a fun thing to nurture. So yeah. this is all 180 things are not about castor oil. They're about yeah. sunshine. <laughs> you want to do things that you love to do and that yeah. love you back. Yeah. So you only yeah, eat yeah. foods, only eat foods you love, but that also love you back. You may love French fries, but they're trying to kill you. So food is like a marriage. You wouldn't marry someone who's trying to kill you every day. You shouldn't eat food that's trying to kill you every day. Right. Same thing with, um, so you demonstrated that with stress, that it's a great way of changing the biomarkers of aging. You know, it's interesting too, not to circle back to my study, but we're just about to publish and in, in, in on another uh, group that we looked at. And one of the so we were we looked at adherence this time, and it's and it and it covers a, a meditation, a diet intervention. Um, you know, we track sleep and 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 a couple of other pieces. Um, the, the meditation component of our program was the least adhered to, and um, it was pretty modest. It wasn't a heavy lift. We wanted them to do 10, 10 minutes of breathing twice a day, but. You know, when I hear you say it, like there's almost a, it's almost worth us rethinking how we frame it. Sitting down in meditation is probably anxiety provoking for a lot of people, especially if you're not versed in it. But, but, but having fun, hanging out with your posse, you know, it, I mean, is there any evidence that that is as potent as a contemplative practice? I mean, what do you, there's what do you actually say? evidence that it's much more potent. The date now, all of that is epidemiologic evidence. Yeah. But it's it from the Whitehall studies and, and the Berkman studies at Alameda County. The thing that in both that was most important wasn't whether they meditated or whether they did. Got, it was did they have a posse of six people they were vulnerable to once a month. And that included, could include, didn't include in every case, their spouse. So some of them were not, if you will, fully um, vulnerable to their spouse. But if you're, so six people that you're vulnerable to once a month was the most potent at decreasing the aging that major life events caused. So important, just really important, underline, underline explanation point. I mean, that's just oh, a hu so, huge. But, yeah. but, but the other point you brought up is the key point. That's why we developed real age that yeah. is, how do you motivate people mm -hmm. to change their behavior? Now, at the Cleveland Clinic, we we have a we had when we started this, we had 101,000 employees and dependents, um, and we found you could do it if the financial incentive was large enough. And Cleveland Clinic saves 190 million dollars a year. The employees get the maximum allowed by law, 30 million dollars back direct and probably another 30 to 50 in co-pays that they save. But it is, you can do a financial incentive on, um, if you will, the big six. So, so they get, they get 
money in their pocket if they take care of themselves is what you're saying Absolutely. like it, wow that's extraordinary and, that's and, huge and, that's and we've yeah. gone from six percent having what we call six normals plus two to now 44 percent and from about 12 percent voluntarily participating to over 73 percent well it's 74 plus percent this year voluntarily participating in the program and yeah so it's a large savings for us without a benefit design change but it's a huge savings for them in money. But in addition, this year we, we were just submitting literally um, next Tuesday, we will be submitting the article on what it did to their rate of aging and it decreased their rate of aging by more than 15%. Wow. So they're, they're, and that's by, um, if you will, the, the real age metric as their biomarkers individually. You know, if you look at do employee wellness programs work it's very hard to find anything more than two years. This is a 10 year study on our 100 and now 10,000 employees and dependents. So you can not only get reduced healthcare costs, 38% compared to our competitors and compared to our own trend line, but you can actually, the employee saves money and the employee will live, if the prediction is right and they stay with it, the employee will live 15% longer without uh, disability or death. So that's a huge, I mean, that's uh, essentially living 15% on, on an 80 year life expectancy is 12 years. It's just incredible. And I want to know specifically what you do, but I, if this just brings to mind Cleveland Clinic, you know, you've adopt, you've been early adopters as you and I were chatting about, there's the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine, which is really it's pub, you know, it's published in top tier journals. I think it's really world recognized, and it's changing things. And you know, the work that you're doing is so extraordinary. And well, we got to thank, well, you know, we got to thank the people from the Institute of F Functional Medicine who came in yes. and yes, who really, absolutely. and Mark Hyman, who came in mm -hmm. and said, "Let's do a research orientation to see if it makes a difference." So yes. it's not, it's it, it, it is, you know. I've got to say one of the things that the Cleveland Clinic has done right is focused on outcomes right from the beginning. And so the CEO, Toby Cosgrove, who started both wellness and brought in functional medicine when we encouraged him and uh, Johan to do so, um, our chief of staff, um, have really, were really, um, how do I call it? it? It is a culture of innovation. You know, yes. the reason they started recruiting me, I, I brought transesophageal echo over from Germany to use in, in the Thorax Center in, the, in Amsterdam in uh, 1979. And the reason they started recruiting me in 1981, I didn't come till 2004, but the reason they started um, that recruiting was because uh, they saw that transesophageal echo was going to make a difference in how we manage patients. So they've been, you know, it is, it is a tradition of looking at outcome. Well, I've seen that you've also been challenged. I mean, certainly not everybody in the greater medical community appreciates that you've embraced functional medicine. Um, I, I, you know, the, uh, how do I, part of the, the having a CEO who is a physician always um, has been that they're willing to take risk for if they think the benefit to patients in outcome has been greater than the risk. 
And so that's why, I mean, you know, we're, we we're the first who's actually been doing, um, if you will, drug, all the drug approvals looking at with quantum computing, their um, effect on specific gene functioning. Can you repurpose drugs that are generic into that? That again, getting IBM here, getting looking at vaccines for cancer prevention is now one of the areas. So it is, it is a, there is a real culture of let's do whatever we can to help the patient get better outcome. Yeah, well, and again, as being a Cleveland girl and having my family there, I, I, I appreciate it. And I just, I'm also on faculty at the Institute for Functional Medicine. So I know Mark Hyman well, and I just, I'm very, very, very pleased and, you know, and proud of the work that folks are doing there. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the other aspects. So, so the whole community and connection and purpose um, piece is, you know, front and center. Um, we can talk a little bit about diet. I'm curious about supplements. Like, like let's, let's, let's create the stack of priorities to, you know, be 40 when we're 60. And then I want to save time to talk about, you know, turning 90 or 100 back to 30. <laughs> so so the the stack is, as I said, those six things. The second yeah. one, most important, food choices, portion size, and timing. Yeah. Um, and partially because you're changing the microbiome with what you're doing. And that affects a whole bunch of things that you wouldn't expect it to affect. You know, it expects it affects mental functioning. It ex affects um, exercise capability, et cetera. So you're a pro at that. I'm not going to go into that at all because but it is second in the stack. But remember, yeah. the stack isn't the order in which you should do them other than stress management. The stack is, what do you like to do that loves you back? So yeah. if you do, if you say, I'm gonna do, you know, I have one of the co-authors is um, Albert Ratner, who's turning 95 by the time this comes out and, and totally functionally intact, but um, he started working with us and changed, um, he didn't wanna change his food at all. So he started and he didn't want to do steps, but he loves playing with grandkids, loves playing ping pong. So we got him to do 10,000 step equivalents. He has a great purpose and posse. So that was already intact. But then he decided, okay, if I'm feeling this much better from this little physical activity, I'm going to actually change food. And so he's lost 40 pounds and gotten into, uh, you know, if you look at his pictures from uh, three years ago, he looks 20 years older than he does now. Um, so it's never too late until you're six feet under. It ain't yeah. too late to do this. Yeah. So, but pick things you love to do that love you back. Hey there, listeners. It's your host, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. I have a question for you. How much time do you spend ordering functional lab tests for your patients? I bet it's a lot. Ordering from multiple lab companies for hundreds of patients can quickly turn into hours of admin time. But there's a new way to order lab tests I'm excited to share with you. Rupa Health is a tool that lets you order from over 30 specialty labs in a single portal. You can order all the tests you normally do from companies like Dutch, Vibrant, Genova, and Great Plains, and so many more. Imagine you're ordering a hormone panel for a patient that includes tests from three different labs. 
you have to log onto three different websites, place separate orders, come back weeks later to check on tracking numbers, download results, et cetera, et cetera. Rupa eliminates all of that by having all ordering, tracking results in a single place, and they also order, handle invoicing, uh, tracking shipments, automated follow-ups, personalized instructions for completing tests, and much more. The best part about Rupa is that it is free for you. Go to rupahealth.com, that's R-U-P-A health.com, and join a live demo or sign up to see how it works. Now let's get back to today's show. Third in that stack is the four components of physical activity, any yep. like step equivalents, um, resistance, cardio, and jumping. The fourth is um, if, if what we call avoiding unforced errors. That is not vaping, not smoking, not riding in a car without a seatbelt, not going downhill skiing without a helmet, etc. And there are many. Uh, one of the simple ones is, do you need to filter your water? Depend, you can find out great information based on your water supplier of what toxins are in your water and whether you need to filter it. Same thing goes with the air. Did, do you live more than seven feet, seven blocks away from where there's diesel traffic? So there really are some easy choices. Um, Cleveland is really important because your parents probably got exposed um, to the steel mill junk um, that was here long before and that helped. Uh, where my grandfather the, worked. Where yeah, my so, worked. <laughs> right. So and uh, fifth is sleep and brain health. Now, the reason it's fifth is because a lot of those things in brain health and sleep, you've already gotten from the first four. And then sixth is, is uh, supplements and small molecules, uh, you know, such stuff such as uh, phosphocreatine, which you think of as a bodybuilder thing, but there's really good data. It improves both cognition and it prevents um, if you will, sarcoplasma, if you will, sarcopenia, lack of muscle strength, which is important in avoiding frailty. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so phosphocreatine is one. What are what what are the other supplements? Just out of curiosity. Well, I mean, we've been we've been look we've been asked to look at fifty three. Anyone can ask us. It's a website, greatagereboot.com. We've been asked to look at fifty three, of which there are about fifteen that you should talk to your practitioner about. They include everything from magnesium and coenzyme Q10 and a baby aspirin twice a day with half of a glass of warm water before and afterwards and bovine colostrum to a multivitamin um, to, if you will, extra vitamin D, again, measuring the concentration. So there are um, curcumin. So there, there are um, 15 that are on in... You think in, are standouts? Well, 15 that have substantial data that in people over the age of 50, men over the age of 40, women over 50, have substantially more benefit than risk. Um, and then it is a matter of saying, do I want to take that many? Which ones and which hierarchy do I want to go on? Um, and so when you say, what do I do? Um, I yeah. am a bit crazy and I, other than stress, and I do work hard on friends, and other than sleep in my past, and now I work hard on, on that, mm -hmm. um, but other than stress and sleep, I do almost everything. Now, I don't do, I can't do the ones that are just for women, like uh, hormone therapy, 
and uh, my own testosterone level is high enough. I'm not worried about uh, hormone replacement for myself, but that's one of the things that people should consider. Only 3% of men who are testosterone deficient are getting therapy for it. So um, it, it is the same as women. It is, especially since the women's health study was misanalyzed in the early 2000s, yeah. Um, women and men have not gotten hormone therapy or the aspirin they should get with it. So the major risk of hormone therapy for both men and women is increased clotting. So you should always talk to your physician or practitioner about getting uh, baby aspirin uh, twice a day with half a glass of warm water before and afterwards and maybe bovine colostrum um, for that. And I know your, I think your show is sponsored by Biotics. So um, a uh, probiotic and prebiotics are important in uh, that as well. And I take a variety because we don't know quite enough. So I take three different probiotics, uh, one each day for three days. So rotate. Oh, you rotate. Oh, wow. It's in the, that's cool. Okay, good. So you're, you're in the thick of it. Um, you must be recommending fish oil. That's got to be in there. That's such a workhorse. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is. I recommend, um, this is interesting. So if you look at the omega-3 index, even though I was eating salmon, I eat a salmon burger almost every day for lunch. Mm -hmm. And I will have salmon, regular salmon, wild salmon. Um, the salmon burgers are Costco salmon burgers, wild salmon. And I'm, I don't have any interest in either uh, Trident that makes them or Costco, but I I uh, have caused a shortage of, of Costco salmon burgers at times by recommending them so much. But in any case, even though I was eating those regularly, yeah, my omega three index was only in the medium zone. Yeah. So I take a I take nine hundred uh, milligrams of algal omega three. So algal, the fish don't make the fish oils. The fish get it from um, the algae they the algae they eat. And so I tend to get um, 900 milligrams of DHA, omega-3. I have a, and obviously I get plenty of fish oil from the salmon and uh, usually I'll eat ocean trout once a week as well. So I'm, I'm despite that, my level is now in the um, upper range. Good. But when I was just doing the food, yeah. the interesting thing is, although I was doing it pretty intensely, I was only in the middle range. Yeah. I think, you know what, I don't think that that's uncommon. I mean, I think we have to test and we can get insurance coverage generally to make sure people's omega index is dialed in. That's that's relatively easy to do here in the States. And there's been research just showing a lot of variability in absorbing supplements. So you would expect that to be the case with uh, food as well. And it's worth, it's, worth, it's worth knowing that it's dialed in, I think. Well, that's um, one of the things that functional medicine has taught us a lot. Yeah. So thank you guys. <laughs> You're welcome. So let's ta let's move into some of the next generation things we need to be thinking about, like what's on the horizon and, and where are we headed? I mean, 90 is going to be the new 40, which is, you know, awesome. Yeah, you know, there are 14 areas of research into this. I've, I've gone over a couple. Um, but and people say, how expensive are they going to be? Well, for let me give you the Gladstone in San Francisco looked at um, all the drugs approved by the FDA that were generic, same as the Cleveland Clinic, they used another quantum computing, same as the Cleveland Clinic did. And the Gladstone found that you could um, antagonize the 
ApoE4 gene production of whatever it produces by using a $4 a month water pill, Bumex bumetamide. Um, they then, that was in a computer study, quantum computing again, by looking at its quaternary structures and the structure of the gene. They then looked at what happened in mouse models. It ablated dementia from the Alzheimer's model in the mouse model. They then went and looked at a 1.3 million and another 4.8 million patient database and compared bumetamide to other water pills and the incidence of dementia, 70 and a 72% reduction in dementia using that water pill compared to others. We, it, it's generally not used much because of Lasix has come on, or furosemide. When, so, when was so, this published? Just out of curiosity. It's published it's in, I think it's uh, April of 22. Um, so all of these things, are, I'm not, I'm, I, I, as I think I've told you, I'm a medical nerd. My hobby <laughs> is reading medicine. That's um, amazing crazy. So I apologize. I, you know, we, no, no, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. We're, it's great. We're seasoned, we're seasoned ticket holders to the Cavaliers basketball. And I've known every time out, because you see once they repeat them game after game and during half, I may be the only person reading medical journals during timeouts and halftime at the Cavaliers games. But anyway, so I'm a little weird, but in any case, um, so uh, that's now undergoing a randomized controlled trial to see if that works in humans as well. It's probably a five-year study, but that shows you some of the, the really innovative, it's a $4 a month pill, now $4 a month. So um, it's, it is uh, inexpensive as heck. And it is, you know, if you look at the Alzheimer's drug trial, um, nobody does, you know, this is, five times more effective than yeah. the drug that looks like it's going to get approved that'll sell for $56,000 a year yeah, and yeah. require another $40,000 of MRIs to make sure you don't have a side effect. This is $4 a month, 48 bucks yeah. a year. It won't, it won't break um, Medicare at all. It's extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary. Jeez, thanks for sharing that. Um, what about rapamycin or metformin? But yeah, go ahead. You were going to. So there are a whole bunch. So metformin has, you know, I'm waiting for the team trial that Nir Bezerel will do. There's yeah. some significant side effects, especially yes. if you exercise from metformin. Yes. There are large amount of benefits. Your your audience is probably aware of the increased life expectancy using that compared to other diabetic drugs in type two diabetes, and using that um, in type two diabetes compared to control group. Um, but there is question about what happens if you exercise. So for example, I understand Peter Atia just uses it on days he doesn't exercise, if there is such a day in the week that he doesn't exercise, because he's right. pretty aggressive. But in any case, <laughs> um, the point is, uh, I think we're not quite ready for prime time, because an another risk with that is, if you use it to reverse prediabetes or diabetes, um, it wears out that reversal the longer you've used it. So after 15 years of use, if you start at 50, by 65, you won't get that reversal anymore. And maybe not the as much of the, the hypoglycemic effect too. So I don't think that's quite ready for prime time. I hope Nier is right and it's a great drug, but right now, um, 
it has um, undetermined benefits and a little risk. Yeah. And rapamycin, your thoughts there? Um, you know, the, uh, I'm, you know, you hope that that will work and we just don't, you know, we need the trials like the Gladstone is doing with Bumetidine and Bumex to look at dose and dosing interval um, because we don't know what the right dose of rapamycin is or how yeah. often. Is it right. six milligrams once a week? Is it three milligrams twice a week? Is it three milligrams once a week? You know, I, I. I just wish we had an, as much funding on that as we have an anti-cancer drug funding. Um, because if we did, we'd have these answers on nutrition and uh, a lot of the anti-aging. There yeah. is a lot more funding coming in, thanks to both private philanthropy and the National Institutes. Um, so hopefully we'll, we'll get there soon uh, before, yeah. I, before I get to be too old. Yeah, it does seem that the lens has finally turned towards aging, towards longevity. Do you think we well, need to consider it? Thanks to your work. I mean, you, <laughs> your work has been helpful in that. Thank you. Thanks. Um, do you think we need to consider aging a disease to be able to get, to get it fully funded? Well, you know, the way both NIH and the FDA have traditionally been organized was by disease classes. So is the National Institute of Digestive Diseases or the National Heart Lung Blood Institute or the FDA study section on cardiovascular disease or on women's health or on GI cancers. So our, our, and that was appropriate. We initially focused on childhood diseases and vaccines and sanitation that extended life expectancy, then went to chronic disease management that's where we are now. We're going to be moving, I believe, into the mechanism of aging management and whether aging is considered a disease or whether it's considered a condition that is reversible, I don't think matters as long as we get the focus of the regulatory authorities to be able to um, say that this is a treatable and viable problem. You know, when you look at the economics of it is longevity is the cure, not the problem. Our Medicare trust funds run out in something like 27. Our Social Security 30, uh, 2032 or 2033. But if we work, if we're going to live 30 years longer and we work 20 years longer, they never run out, at least as far as we can calculate through 2020, 2300. So in fact, longevity, if we do it right, is the cure, not the problem. And we've got to get that as a societal focus. When we went to the CBO with and testified in front of Congress on the Cleveland Clinic data on um, managing chronic disease and reducing costs 38% with the incentive. The CBO said, we can't pay anyone over 65. Everyone over 65 is a cost to us. There's no benefit. We said, they'll pay into Social Security and Medicare longer. They said, we don't count that. Nothing above the age of 65 is a benefit or an income stream. Everything's a cost over 65. So we've really got to change the CBO yes. and, and the policymakers concept and yes. that goes with the regulatory agencies as well as you brought up. Yes, yes, yes. And it's more obviously than longevity. It's it's health span that has to be commensurate with longevity. And I know that that you you know that. Um, all right. So in our home stretch here, I just want to ask some sort of 
you know, just what your thoughts are with maybe, you know, using CRISPR as an intervention for, for longevity, what your thoughts are on Yamanaka in prime time in humans, Yamanaka factors, um, stem cells. We could start with stem cells because that's, those are, those are being, uh, those are available now. I guess I would say pluripotent stem cells and your thoughts on pluripotent stem cells and then any. So you need about, um, according to the data, you need uh, 20 to 50 million stem cells injected. Most of the stem cell clinics in the United States inject 500 to 8,000. So it's a fiction. Now they do inject growth factors with it, which probably are important. Um, but uh, to get that many stem cells, you'd need to take them from your bone marrow, grow them in culture for four months or six months, and then inject them back. We that's very expensive. So you need to knock out immunogenicity. Mike West, um, a brilliant aging researcher has done that, knocked out the immunogenicity. So in Japan, there are trials um, for um, ischemic heart disease, it's for ischemic heart disease induced heart failure of injecting uh, 30 to 40 million stem cells at a time that are immunogenicity incompetent. And so um, I don't know where that'll come. I, I'm hopeful, but we're probably uh, four to 10 years away from that. Panama, there are some centers doing it in Panama in that way. The problem is they, there's a very large expense, so it's not available to the masses. And yeah. second problem with it done in Panama is we don't have outcome data from them. So right. as you can tell, I'm Cleveland Clinic, we're outcome driven. Without outcome data, you can't believe it. Yeah, I hear you. I know. I know in Colombia they're doing pluripotent stem cells. I, I, man, my eyes are open to it, but I think you bring up some very reasonable cautions. Um, CRISPR, Yamanaka. So, yeah, the Yamanaka factors are the four factors that Dr. Yamanaka, who was in Japan, now is at the Gladstone in San Francisco, um, came up with that reboot the epigenes back to your original set. The problem with that in uh, the mice models was that about 30% of the mice two years later develop um, infinite growth of some of the cells, meaning cancer. Mm -hmm. um, they have revised that to knock out C-mica, so it's only three genes that they're re turning on. When you turn on those three genes in three institutions, private firm near UC Davis at Harvard, MIT, and one in Switzerland, and now reproduced at both Hopkins and by Coleco, the, the Google um, moonshot for aging. They've shown that turning on those three genes does revert the animal from the equivalent of a 107-week-old mouse to a 40-week-old uh, mouse, the equivalent of about 104 human years to about 34 or 35 human years without the cancers growing at least in the first uh, 30 weeks of that. I haven't seen anything in the last 15 weeks to know whether it's a full um, year or not, but any a full, if you will, coming. So we think that that is a very promising. It's been done in three animal species now not only mice and rats, but also in dogs, male beagles. Um, and so we think you'll be able to, that that may be um, one that gets the home run. But again, you know, we translating animal data to humans is fraught with problems. So that's why we think with 14 shots on goal, there's an 80% chance, but it ain't 100%.
Um, as far as CRISPR-Cas9 uh, and varieties, just imagine if you can turn an E4 into an E2 gene instead of 20% dementia for women at age 90 going up to 60% if you have E4, it would go down to 10% or in men 10% down to 5%. So, and that's actually occurring, meaning the experiments of that are now being undertaken. So. We believe that that's going to be a one organ by one organ or one gene by one gene, uh, fairly um, expensive. It's not expensive in ingredients. It's $5 worth of uh, CRISPR-Cas9 for a whole body, but because of the difficult regulatory and, and careful scientific and harvesting the genes, et cetera, and knowing what it is, it's very expensive. But that's, that's, all, that's occurring now. So. Um, where we are is uh, I am uh, going to continue to read, and uh, sometime in the uh, next 10 years, I'm hoping one of the 14 shots on goal is done by Messi and uh, gets to the back of the goal, and we all can get rebooted. Woohoo! Well, Dr. Risen, it was really great to uh, to talk with you today on New Frontiers. I'm so glad you joined me. This was an awesome conversation. I appreciate your command of the literature. This was a tour de force conversation. Thank My you. privilege. Thank you. You're great. You're, you've been a great interviewer and a great leader in the field. So thank you for younger you. <laughs> Thanks. As always, thank you for listening to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where our sponsors help bring the very best minds in functional medicine. And today is no exception. Not everyone can be a sponsor on my platform, and I so appreciate the good work, the relentless research, and the generous support from my friends at Biotics and Integrative Therapeutics. These are brands I know and trust in my own clinic and can confidently recommend them to you. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com and integrativepro.com, and please tell them you learned about them on New Frontiers. If it's not too much to ask, I would appreciate a thumbs up and a kind review wherever you're listening to New Frontiers. Thanks.